Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me as well. And, of course, we got to talk about it. we got to talk about Michigan's 28-21 loss at Penn State. Uh, we'll, we'll dig into it. We're, we're going to ditch our 2-4-7 format, trying to think about what the listeners want. They probably don't want to hear the game balls. <laughs> and they probably probably the the questions and the and the takeaways would be rather jumbled anyways. So uh, we're just gonna jump in. We've got five main kind of bigger, broader topics that we're gonna discuss, and we'll and we'll bring up try to bring up every everything that we have, every opinion we have about this game in between. So we can start with this one, and this is this is you know <laughs> covering. Harbaugh's entire tenure at Michigan. I've been to almost every game away from Michigan Stadium. I think I've missed two Rutgers games, uh, the Dallas-Florida game. Uh, that that might be it. That actually might be the list. And so they are now 16-12 and 12 away from Michigan Stadium. And, and I pointed this stat out before the game that in the first quarter of Michigan's eight at the time, road losses, they were outscored 59-6. to six. Well, now it's 66 to 6 in eight road losses. That's how much they've been outscored by at the first quarter. And really, you know, I think I think Michigan showed that it could still win in the whiteout and it could still win at Beaver Stadium. But it's hard not to think that if this game had been in a neutral site or if this game had been in Ann Arbor, the way Michigan played compared to the way Penn State played, I mean, Michigan almost seemed to take itself out in not just the first quarter, maybe the first quarter and a half. It took them until they were down 21 nothing for them to really show that punch back. You had, I mean, first first snap, I don't think it was that big of a deal, the timeout on the first play. It's not a good look. I don't think it really matters. Um, I mean, how many times how many times are you wishing your team had a timeout <laughs> you know, at the end of the first half? Usually it's it's not that that relevant. But you know, there was that. There were drop passes. I had four line of scrimmage penalties, i.e. mental penalties where you are messing up the snap. Four line of scrimmage penalties and five drop passes in the first half. Steve, you were watching at home on TV. Were you able to gauge, I mean, maybe the body language? I mean, what what happened? Why, why did they come out so flat against a team that, and we'll talk about this too, where it's not going to be completely negative, but... You know, a team that they really looked like they were as good or better than, but they fell behind twenty-one nothing, making it basically impossible for them to come back and win the game. You know, that's the million-dollar question. You know, I don't know if it's a mental deal or what, but I mean, there's a that that stat, both those stats. I think the road record now is it's always been legitimate. We'll see how these teams play at home the rest of the year. I think, like I said, we talked about it uh, on the pod mm-hmm. last week. I believe that. The teams that Michigan, the top ten teams that Harbaugh's lost to on the road, or whatever that stat was, is that those teams had never lost a game at home in those given seasons. It, they were like a combined thirty-eight and zero. So those teams were literally beating everybody. That being said, hmm. it's the it's the slow starts are just are very very concerning because yeah, like you said, it, it's I, I don't know. It's almost like. Uh, I don't. I, it's, I don't know. It's difficult to explain. There's not really. It didn't feel like any real rhyme or reason. I think when you're at a, in an atmosphere like what Penn State offers, I think the pre-snap stuff. I think you're always do. You're gonna you're gonna get one or two of those probably. 
uh, but the drops and just the right. just mental lapses. You know, this game in a lot of ways, in some ways it didn't, but in a lot of ways this game kind of reminded me of Notre Dame last year, the season opener, where agreed Michigan dug themselves such a hole early. Like, I think you'd argue that Michigan outplayed Penn State for, what, three quarters of the game probably, maybe two and a half. Um, and, and but, but the problem, yeah, the problem mm-hmm. is they came out flat and put themselves, you know, you're basically spotting a team – in this in this instance, a twenty-one nothing lead at home in one of the most intimidating atmospheres uh, in football, and asking these guys to kind of dig themselves out of it, you know, and, and so, but I, I don't, I think it's kind of hard to explain, because I you know you look at I think Patterson definitely played his best game of the year. You can't you can't look at him and say, you know, that the quarterback came out flat. Mm-hmm. He came out and played you know, a really good game. I thought the running backs played really well. Charbonnet had a great game. Defensively, it was just a really, it was the, probably the most frustrating game defensively I can remember from Michigan on the big stage in that it was literally just a couple hiccups. Otherwise, they were absolutely dominant on a play-to-play basis. And so it's a game where it is. It's just, it is, it's always, it's been those little plays you know, that kind of make a difference. You know, you look, go back to that Notre Dame game last year where Hawkins misses that interception by a fingertip, you know, on the on the first play that he's in after Metellus gets ejected. You know, it's like, and then you got the, we talk, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but you have the OPI, the questionable OPI call leads to a, a big Penn State play and then a touchdown. And then the, obviously the drop ball by Ronnie Bell, you know, that would have tied the game. It's like, it's just the, it's those little, my new, the little minutia, the little plays right there that are making the difference for them. And for some reason it's on the road where they just say, can't seem to string it together for four quarters. And the fact that it's always at the beginning of the game where they come out flat is it's definitely a concerning trend for, in my opinion, I, there's no way you can't ignore it now. Not that you were, not that any of us were really ignoring it coming into this game. I, like I said, I think we said in the preview piece, Michigan more than ever had to come out and come out hot to start this game if they had any chance. Right. And they didn't. They laid another egg to begin the game on both sides of the football, and it's what ended up costing them the game. Right. So, for me, the road issues, like if someone were asking why, why are they 16-12 and 12 away from Ann Arbor and 27-4 and four at home, which, by the way, you know, we'll talk about the rest of the season, not the worst stat to have with three rivalry home games coming up, but... To me, it, I mean, it, it's obviously mental, right? The field is still the same. I, I really think um, I would be very surprised if Michigan players were scared of loud environments. I mean, you know, they play, they play in front of a pretty big stadium themselves. I know it's not as loud as a, as a whiteout or as Ohio State gets, but I'd be surprised. I think Jay Harbaugh brought this up a couple years ago that um, – Players these days, I mean, they've been listening to loud music and giant headphones their whole lives. Like, it's not like in 1975 when the decibels reached 110 at a stadium that you know the players didn't know how to react. No, they're not. They're not scared. But I do think, I do think um, it's a mental thing. And, And there's two parts of it. One, I think you've seen a lot of times if there is a deflating swing. At Michigan Stadium, it's just kind of you. You might hear some groans, maybe a couple boos, maybe some of the awake fans are 
chiming in, but it's not like, like it's kind of just a business as usual type situation. So a couple, couple of plays that come to mind, the big swing plays, uh, Shea Patterson's interception, right? Uh, a couple of those, those third down misfires where they didn't get, get the down. And then on defense, a couple of the big plays. And so Michigan struggles to respond to big plays would be one of them. The other one, and this, I actually wrote a story about how Michigan is trying to prepare for the whiteout and got a lot of talk about, I think Josh Uche mentioned, you are out of your routine when you're on the road. You don't go to Schembechler. You don't have the hot tub and the massage table. I know that sounds, makes the players sound a little uh, spoiled or soft if you, but I mean, you know, they're putting their bodies on the line. That stuff is nice. And, and you know, the, the it's not just that, it's the whole pregame routine. And then, of course, you get pumped up with the with coming coming out of the tunnel, touching the banner, the band, that that whole deal. It's just a comfort thing, and that's where I call it mental. And maybe it's coaching related that, for some reason, when Michigan is un, is uncomfortable, the results aren't there. Because I mentioned they're sixteen and twelve away from Ann Arbor, but that also includes two wins against. Really, really, really bad Rutgers teams. You know, a couple, couple overtime wins against Indiana, uh, a last-minute win over Northwestern, last-second win over Minnesota when Minnesota wasn't very good. You know, it's it's included some some really easy games and then some just absolute clunkers that were not very impressive. So I don't know. I don't. I don't mean this as a Michigan can't win on the road. But it it's hard to hard to look at these stats, both the first quarter stat and the overall record, and not think that Michigan has a serious problem on its hands that it must figure out. Because it's just I think every team is worse on the road. That's a that's silly to think otherwise. Wisconsin lost to Illinois in their first Big Ten road game of the year. But at the same time, Michigan was, was supposed to be, in theory, Right when when they started putting together this this Harbaugh coaching staff and and started reeling in top ten recruiting classes, the teams that finished the year at the t- in the top ten win road games against good teams. They do, uh, you know every every team that Michigan was looking up to in the standings last year won at some point a road game where they were uncomfortable or the other team you know brought their best stuff. There's all it's in the Big Ten. There's always going to be generational talents like Jonathan Taylor, KJ Hamler. There's always going to be other top ten teams. So I, 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 you know, it's one of those ones. As a reporter, I wish I knew the whole story. I wish I could go and study for myself how Michigan acts and plays and and approaches games differently at home versus on the road. Because man, it is. You know, and it's not, I don't know. It's, it just seems like those numbers are a little bit bigger than they should be. So they're 16 and 12 away from Ann Arbor. They should probably be like closer to, um, I don't know, 22 and 22 and six, maybe, maybe a little lower. Maybe that's a little unfair. It just, it's just a, it's a, it's a bad split compared to how good they look at home. Yeah. I mean, it is, it gets, you know, it's it's more than a 
a blip. It's a it's a clear trend now. And and again, it's not even so much that they're losing on the road. It's that they continue. It's they're it's like deja vu now. Every time they go on the road in a big game, it's mm-hmm. you almost you're at the point now. You just assume that they're going to be fighting from behind uh, because there's just been such a clear track record of that. You know, like I said, this was a little bit different than the Wisconsin game. I think they got punked against Wisconsin more than anything. This one much more frustrating if you're a Michigan fan because I, honestly. You know, I, I I think Michigan's a better team than Penn State. It doesn't mean Penn, I think Penn State played the better game. They made the bigger plays when it mattered. I just I feel like if those two teams played ten times, I think Michigan wins six or seven of them. I just you know this one's gonna sting. I think for a little while because if you avoid that slow start at all, I mean they almost came down from they almost came they were a drop away from coming back from three touchdowns on the road. That teams don't normally that's rare to begin with let alone even getting into the position mm-hmm. to make that play. So, you know, that's, but again, it's, it's more than it is. It's a trend. It's a disturbing trend right now. And yeah, Michigan doesn't really have any more big games on the road, but their inability to win one on the road has probably already cost them a chance at the big 10 title this year. So uh, the damage is done in that regard, you know? And so right in that, you know, with that, you have to wait till, Pretty much wait till next year. I mean, Indiana's always been kind of a funky place for them too, so I'm not gonna ignore uh, Indiana at all. But you know, damage is done because they they have not gotten out of that the mm-hmm. rut that I think has really has plagued the program more than any single thing since Harbaugh was hired. Right, right. Uh, it's just you know, it's it's something if Michigan ever wants to add something to its trophy case, it has to figure 100%. out how to do it. You know, I think I think Ohio State is maybe the rare exception this year where they're they have to win at Michigan, but they got Michigan State, Penn State, and Wisconsin all at home. All of their non conference games are at home. That's rare. Usually Ohio State has to win a couple more of those. I mean they won a whiteout last year. It wasn't pretty I think that Penn State team might have been even worse than this year's Penn State team, but they found a way to win. I mean, they won. That's what that's what it comes down to. And and Michigan's never going to get. There's never going to be some complete break in the schedule. And we we might have time for this later on, but looking at next year's schedule, they still they, they would have to beat Ohio State on the road. They would have to beat Washington on the road if you're looking at their overall season. Uh, Minnesota. If they're if they're gonna keep doing this, suddenly that road game looks weirdly, tricky. Weirdly enough, weirdly and, enough, and of course Michigan 2-0 State on the road against Michigan State. That's the part that doesn't make any sense. That's yeah. what's so weird about it. <laughs> you know, is we know how geared up Michigan State gets for that game, and Michigan has beaten them twice in a row on the road, both of which were both of which relatively handily, right? Uh, they weren't. Margin scoring margin well, last once, year but was dominant. Yeah. Pr- but watching but the game, way. they were. But but Steve, you have to remember in those two seasons, not counting the two losses to Michigan, Michigan I, State I was disagree. combined. It's 10 still and a rivalry game win on the road, though. I mean, that's that's yeah. they've they have they've mm-hmm. lost or they've won or they've lost in in less of an environment than that. You know, it's never easy to beat Michigan State if you're Michigan. It's their Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. You know, so I just thought it's ironic. It's just yep. ironic. Yep. No, I got you. I got you. I'm just saying, I'm saying, you know, if you're trying to beat good teams on the road, Michigan, one, has to figure out how to do it. 
well, actually, that was that was the only point. They have to figure out how to do it. Otherwise, it's going to be more or less what you saw in 2016, 2018, and then this year. I mean, think about it. In those three seasons, they did not lose at home. If they're undefeated at home in 16, 18, and 19, we'll see how 19 finishes. But they have to figure out how to win on the road or else that's the ceiling. That is the ceiling. So that's that's an interesting interesting takeaway I had from this game because it, I, I really enjoy going to Penn State. It is the coolest atmosphere. I wish every team in every stadium had an atmosphere like that. Uh, you know, the tailgate scene, very cool. Um, kind of an interest different than a lot of Big Ten cities. You know, it's not it's not the frat houses or the or the house parties. It's it's more NASCAR like where everyone parks their cars. But it's kind of cool. It's like a it's like a giant uh, it's like a giant car village. It's it's very neat. Um, you know, ran into a few Michigan fans down there too. They're that are readers and listeners of the show, so I got to say hi to them. But yeah, just a cool across the board environment. Michigan's got to figure out how to win there, or else their ceiling is already predetermined. Next key thing that we're going to discuss, and you already mentioned it. <laughs> Here, I'll put it this way: Michigan has lost two types of games on the road. In, my, in, in our time covering Harbaugh. It has been a last-minute kind of heartbreaker-type game. Iowa, the spot. Um, Saturday? You know, a couple, a couple of the other ones. Or it's been, well, there was that. And then, or it's been, they completely fell apart early and, <laughs> you know, were, were put themselves in a giant hole. Saturday's was able to be both. And, and so that leads to the second question how can Michigan look so impressive and still regress and still lose? Because I thought I thought the offensive line played exactly how I expected the offensive line to look this season. That has been the one position group that I thought they were going to be a top five unit in the country. They obviously have not been, but they started to look like it on Saturday. And then you saw Shea Patterson did not look. You know there were there were imperfections. Didn't necessarily look like a Heisman contender but looked like one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Maybe for the first time all season. I guess if you can count the Rutgers game too. So those parts looked really impressive. We mentioned the defensive front. Uh, you know, Penn State, they had half of their yards came on four plays. And so, as you mentioned, just they were like four snaps away. Not Not to say that that matters, but it does speak to the fact that this team looked really impressive despite regressing. So Steve, I guess what do you what do you make of that? What did you see in in terms of the comeback? Did it did it I mean, I assume it surprised you based on how the game started. And then and then what did you see? And I don't know. I are you in the same boat I am that that several position groups had their best games of the season and then other position groups obviously um, took major steps back or did not did not come to play? Uh, and that's that was yeah, the difference. That and again, just momentary. I mean, we gotta, you know, gotta call out the schematics defensively in a couple situations that just I just thought put Michigan in a in a terrible position. And there's just no other way to put it. And, and the biggest thing here's the thing to me, you know, Metellus on Hamler was just hor- and a horrible horrible scheme. Not just because, and this is what I can't get over, not just because Metellus is a safety. Anybody who gave him crap about the coverage on that play is an idiot. I mean, not. I don't feel like he got a lot of heat 
he had no chance on that play. Let's just be honest. Good call from Penn State, but again, they know they're trying to get the ball in the hands of their best player. Both Hill and Thomas, we talked about this last week, have played against Hamler, whether it be on the actual football field or in seven-on-seven or just running one-on-ones during the summer. These guys know him really, really well. Michigan completely shut him down last season. KJ, great player, good kid, very happy for him, by the way. Uh, was a really enjoyable kid to uh, cover during the recruiting process. But on how on earth do you not have one of those two guys on him in any situation? Again, like I'm saying, not just because they're cornerbacks, but because these guys know him. They've played with him for years. You know, and I just, that, that maddingly frustrating when you consider, again, how well the defensive unit had been playing as a whole throughout the game. I, I could I don't even know. Did Dotson was the was he the only other receiver? I know Fryermuth had a couple plays, but did did they even get the ball to any of their other actual wide receivers in the game? You know? Did Well so like, technically Yeah. Uh, no, no, you're Shorter right. You are right. Make didn't you know didn't catch a ball. I know that for sure. Yeah, no. Hamler was had six of the Penn State yeah, receivers, you know. seven catches. So Fryermuth had three, Slade had two, Journey Brown and Noah Kane had one apiece. They were running backs. And Dotson yeah. had one catch for you 37 know, and yards. To me, that just incredibly frustrating. Because, uh, you know, and again, credit to the to the play call on Penn State, obviously. When when that when you're in that one-on-one, like, then there's no doubt what you're going to do. Clifford's throws in that game reminded me of when my high school played Saginaw, played Charles Rogers. Uh, Saginaw had Roy Manning, Lamar Woodley, Charles Rogers. They had like five NFL players on their high school roster. It was actually really insane. But what I'm getting at is all their quarterback did was just take like a seven-step drop and just throw the ball as far as he could. And Rogers would run underneath it because he was so much faster than anybody <laughs> that our team, that our school was putting out there. And this was the exact same thing. You didn't even, the quarterback didn't even need to make a good throw. He just needed to throw it far enough to let the receiver, you know, create more distance between himself and the defender because they knew how much faster he is straight line than any safety on Michigan's roster. Even, you know, that would have been a tough spot to put Dax Hill in. So, you know, that regression from some position groups, no doubt about it. I mean, the receivers dropped. We just started, what was it, five in the first half alone. That's, that's. Yeah, yeah, I think tough it was to, tough to really get total. any momentum going yeah. offensively when your receivers are dropping the football. But yeah, you know, offensive line played their best game of the season. I thought Patterson, given the environment, played his best game of the season. The defensive line, I don't think there's that Sean New has gotten nearly enough credit as a first-year coach coming in. I think that Michigan looks ferocious up front right now. It, it's really they've kind of lived up to our, what we said in the preseason, where we kind of said it didn't think that they'd lose as much on the edge as fans maybe initially thought with Gary and Winovich leaving, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, the backers played really well. Glasgow, again, maybe a couple hiccups on Saturday, but, again, by and large, I thought played another good game. So, so hold on. Just, just for listeners, because I know some – just because they only had five tackles for loss and two sacks. What did you see – 
that that made you impressed with the defensive line? I mean, I you know, there's different things that they did do. I guess what were what were some Penn of the State. key moments that you felt were were indicative of this take? That you I mean, have? Slade had the one broken run on the off of the OPI turn into a, and it would eventually become a punt or or whatever happened. Or was it the interception? But that was their longest. That was by far their longest run. How many? I mean, how many rushing yards did Penn State have? 101. Not, that's not, I don't think that's that many. Do you? I mean, how many were the... yeah, they had a weird team, team minus 10? Was that taking Possib- a knee? Possibly. Oh, I still, they was. didn't, I, I don't yeah. feel like they, so 100, okay. 111. Yeah, I felt, if so you I felt like the they knees. never really got a consistent running game going, though. How many did Slade get on that one run? Like 35, 40 yards on that one play? Yeah. So that's, there you go. That's 44. almost half their rushing yards, a little less than half their rushing yards on one play. Mm-hmm. And also, it was kind of one of those quintessential Michigan was half half a second away from reeling in a bunch of bunch of sacks. You know, um, I thought they forced sure. Clifford into a lot of bad throws. You think about the the, the throw ups. You know, the Fryermuth one maybe the one play where they had took a little time to develop, but the Hamler plays were just quick drops and just throw the ball as high and far as you can in the air. I mean, so I thought the D line played pretty pretty well for the most part. Um, again, you had one run you gave up there. I thought they created a lot of pressure on the edge, mm-hmm. you know, forced Penn State into, you know, really what changed the game to me. And, and again, credit to Don Brown on this, but I, I saw a couple videos of it with Michigan really adjusting to the across the middle stuff that forced Penn State, you know, really kind of took away that safety valve that teams like to use, especially against teams like Michigan who are so aggressive where, you know, just a quick three-step drop, slant, that way it kind of negates the pass rush. It forced Penn State to do a few things a little bit differently, and that's where Michigan really, I think, in the second half started to assert themselves up front even more. But, yeah, I mean, again, that's for the most part, yeah, it's, it, it is. It's kind of a weird paradox where you you almost come out of the game thinking, no doubt, I think Michigan's a better team coming out of this game than they were on Saturday. This isn't like Wisconsin where you're wondering what the heck, you're, what are they going to do the rest of the season, but... Um, yeah, so. Yep, no, I, I, I mostly agree. I think some, you have to put blame somewhere for the big plays because you can't allow that many big plays. Because the fact is, you know, they didn't allow a lot of a lot of yards, but they did allow 28 points. I don't think anybody, if I had told anybody who covers Michigan or watches Michigan before the game, Michigan will allow... Penn State to score 28 points. True. Nobody is thinking Michigan wins. And that's that's until their offense changes, until their offense shows it, Michigan needs to be in 20 or less points per game allowed. Are we going in, in games like that? Think about what happened though in this game. The bigger some of the bigger plays of the game. Quarterback, a designed quarterback run gets them a huge first down. A linebacker covering a tight end on a long developing play, meaning he has to cover a ton of field and then a safety covering a wide receiver who's miles faster than he is. You know, if you're a, if you're a Don Brown critic, those are three of the biggest criticisms you had about his scheme going into this game. And you could argue that those schematic choices Mm -hmm. are what cost them in this game. Again, I think especially more so again, when you consider that, yeah, you said they had half of their yardage on poor plays. That means the rest of the game they were dominant right. or 
incredibly effective. And those, I just, I feel like those hiccups were more schematic than they were a unit not playing well. Because again, those are situations where teams are going to take those matchups all day long. Obviously the Hamler one, but even Fryermuth on Hudson, like, it's like, can you really criticize, you know, Hudson for not being able to keep, you know, not being able to have perfect coverage on a play like that? You know, Pence teams are teams that are have those types of players. Like again, another one comes into town this Saturday. Notre Dame's got excellent players at tight end with Komet. You know, do you not think that right. they're licking their chops, thinking we just dare Michigan to put a linebacker on one of these guys? You know, and so, um, <laughs> so I, I guess. Yeah, and I've been a big Don Brown defender for the most part, but I, I, I feel like, you know, just it is any any of the any of your criticisms about him heading into this game were highlighted in on the three at least three of those four, the four biggest plays of the game offensively for Penn State. So I don't know. Sorry, I didn't mean to take you in the middle of your point, but I just I don't know if we talked enough about. He's definitely not immune to criticism, right? I mean, so. Right. Well, that's what I was. I was. I, that's what I was kind of. I'm glad you answered it because that was what I was going to ask: is where do you where do you put that? Because I do think the defense did a lot of things well. They they had six three and outs. They forced they forced more three and outs than they allowed drives of 15 yards or more in Saturday's game, and so the 28 points. That's the stat that matters. Is they cannot if they had given up less than 28 points. Who knows? Maybe maybe they win, right? Maybe instead of going for it on fourth down, they go for a field goal. If they can hold off Penn State on one other drive. Or maybe they actually mount a comeback and win because they don't allow a 53-yard touchdown to Hamler. Yeah, four, four plays, 153 yards. They gave up 283 yards in the game. So outside of those four plays, they gave up, what, 130 yards? That is pretty... It's imp- it's it's probably probably really hurts for Michigan fans actually to to hear that kind of stat and think, well, if they just do one thing differently, don't forget to put a post safety in, which is Daxton Hill, um, in on a, on a certain snap, and Hamler doesn't go off for fifty three yards, the season's still alive. So anyway, we've probably mentioned that that point enough. Next one, uh, I know you want to talk about officials. I. Not not really something I I have too much too many opinions about. I do I do think there were three calls that that really set Michigan back. Obviously the Fryermuth one that was one I was surprised there wasn't more outcry. Eventually there was outcry, but I saw in the moment I was like that looks like offensive pass interference. And then of course the Nico Collins one. Um, I know I know Harbaugh said he wanted. Some some more pass interferences when they were driving down the field with the chance to tie the game. I don't have the all twenty two camera, so I can't really go back and look and say, "Oh, he was being held." I think pass interference and and holding in, in from the offensive line; those are two things. I get a little some sometimes it's egregious. Sometimes I mean it's just going to happen, and almost on every snap. Do you really want? I mean, how, how you know can't you could say in, on every single snap there was too much contact between the defense and the offense? It's like that's kind of the sport of football. But um, oh, I, I can't remember. Oh, the third one. Can can we get rid of downfield illegal ineligible receiver downfield? 
you know, if, if, at least or at least there should be like a radius. Like if the throw was at least 15 yards away from the ineligible receiver and he was clearly going for a block, like can there be like a common sense clause? I'm talking about when Unwenu was was downfield on the play that um that Peoples Jones the ball bounced out of off of him and then Ronnie Bell caught it for the touchdown. I know Michigan scored a few plays later, but but still <laughs> that one it's just like and then and then to um to Harbaugh's point, there was a play later on in the game where Penn State had a lineman blocking Brad Hawkins more than five yards downfield. So I, I see where he's coming from. I don't I don't know about you, Steve. I don't think Michigan lost because of it. I think they lost because of a million other things. Uh, and you don't get to you don't get to control the refs. So I'm never I, I've never really been a big person in I, I've never agreed with fans who pin a team's loss on officiating. There are some exceptions, sure. And I don't know what how much factor how much do you factor that in when you evaluate Michigan's game on Saturday? Because I don't think they lost because of the refs. Uh, I don't think the refs helped them either or did them any favors. Yeah, that's probably I mean, that's a fair way to put it. I, I just I'm a big stickler for crap calls on like at pivotal points of the game just are that can be devastating to like a team's momentum. Like the Collins call just, you know, it it goes from what first down inside the 30 to, I believe they would not, not cash in on third down there at punt. Am I correct? And then Pence, then the first play from scrimmage is when Slade broke that long run, something like that. It it happened all pretty quickly, but you know, all of a sudden you're going from Michigan, probably in the red zone to Penn state scoring a touchdown on a call that I think anybody would argue was questionable mm-hmm. at best. Uh, you know, so no, you can't. Yeah. So I have a question just real quick. Cause I've been, a, I'm starting to get behind the idea, especially after the, the lions game last week, I'm starting to get behind the idea that maybe could there just be like a real quick, like, like official, like maybe on a questionable call, you have an official or like maybe even 10 officials in a booth watching the replay. And if it was like common sense, incorrect call, they just send it some, they send a signal to the refs and they overturn it. I, I guess like how quickly could you realize that that, that call on Collins offensive pass interference it, was it, incorrect? Something needs to change. Cause it's, it's not about crapping on the actual officials themselves necessarily. Maybe in the mission, maybe in the lions Packers game a little bit, but um, but in games like Saturday, you know, yeah, th- like that was a horrible missed call. I think Michigan fans are so jaded at this point too. You go back to Ohio state in 16 where I think they had like eight sacks in like 17 tackles for a loss or something. And not, they didn't have one holding penalty called in Ohio state the entire game. Like I, I, t- I don't know how that still to this day is even possible. Uh, but you know, so I, again, I think Michigan fans jaded, and then you got, and then you add in the fact that a lot of them are probably Lions fans too, and you have this like, you know, this total distrust in the officiating, and yeah, absolutely, these we've we know how much money these conferences and the NCAA, we know how much money they all generate to not have maybe some safeguards in place in certain situations, because the thing is. In real time, a lot of time in real time, some of this stuff looks different for the officials that are on the field, right? I mean, they're looking for 
like uh, indicators or they're looking for stuff, you know, and, and sometimes it's hard to see in real time. You make the, the call and need your call like that. Um, something needs, I do think something needs to change. And yeah, there'd be no reason to not have. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, there's already somebody on TV pretty much doing that, you know, whether it's Blandino or whoever they got on the other channels, who's really is there at a moment's notice. And when there's a, when there's a challenge call to break, yeah, put Mike yeah. Pereira back in the game. Have right. him just you call know, the refs yeah. instead of us. And so, like, the, the, <laughs> it's, it's definitely possible that they could be doing something a little bit more about without delaying the game to, you know, a, a horribly delaying the game, which is something I know that they're always going to be mindful of. But, you know, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm more in, the, I'm, I'm semi in the middle on the officiating. I just, I do think, I, I don't, agree with people that don't think it matters i'm not somebody who thinks that like the officiating is out for a certain team i think officiating in a raucous atmosphere like penn states is difficult and i think if, if you're especially if you're the away team i guess in those types of situations in in certain certain instances again that could be michigan on the other side of the coin uh, but again i just I just don't, I just, this idea of ignoring it completely and, and acting like, you know, that it can't have some kind of impact on the game, just, it, it bothers the hell out of me because you can have a rational discussion about it. It doesn't have to be, oh, the, either the refs screwed Michigan or screwed whoever, or, oh, well, you need to make plays. You know, it's like I said, when people were, I think it was the Chiefs game, Michigan, or the Lions had a bad call. It's like, yeah, well, if Stafford completed all 34 of his passes for touchdowns, then the Lions would have scored 300 points. Like you can play scenario games <laughs> on both sides of the fence all you want. It's a factor because there are penalties called in every game and the penalties, depending on when and where they're called in a game can absolutely have an impact. So like I said, more in the middle about it. I thought the Collins call especially, though, was horrible. And the, the the other thing, too, like going back to maybe the fans feeling jaded, you get doubly frustrated when the announcers are openly calling out, especially uh, the Friar move touchdown. You know, they show the replay, and the announcers are like, well, you got it looks like he got away with a push there. And, like, it's almost funny. It's They, they say it so casually, and it's like, heck, that was seven points. You know, it's like, <laughs> and uh, so... You know, it is what it is. Is that it's, is that the primary reason Michigan lost? Absolutely not. We already talked about it. They laid an egg to begin the game and put themselves in too big of a hole to come back from. Would a couple of calls, maybe if they'd gone the other way in certain instances, would it have been easier for Michigan to dig out of the hole? I think you could make an argument there, but um, doesn't dictate you know, I, I don't think it. I don't think in this instance it fully dictated the outcome of the game. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Right. Absolutely. Right. Michigan had a lot of mistakes. And yes, of course, if if they ne- if they play perfect, the officials don't matter. But even even if they'd played better, I don't think the officials would have mattered. And my thing with because fans tweet at me about refs and officiating all the time. If you can come up to me after a game that Michigan won and say that the refs screwed over the other team, then I will I will let your opinion be valid about the officiating uh, because it just it seems like it's something that it, it, of course it made an impact. But you know, in the fir- early part of the second half in that third quarter. There were some calls that I, I can't remember them, of course, because people weren't tweeting at me about them. But there were some calls that I felt were a little bit of makeup calls. Obviously, being down 21, nothing's different. It's just, I don't know, you can't control the refs. And they aren't out, they aren't out to get Michigan. I don't understand where that one comes from. Um, and Michigan still could have won doing other things. But anyway, let's talk, let's move on to maybe the big. The big topic. We're going to combine the two uh, with an eye on the clock. What is left this season, and where is this program at? So we can start with the first one. I talked to players today. Talked to Quiddy Pay. Talked to Carlo Kemp. Um, our Bryce Marich talked to Brent, Ben Bredesen about it. We'll have a story on this. But if you're Michigan, what is your approach this season? Because yes, they're out of. They're out of the playoff conversation, and all signs point to them being out of the Big Ten title conversation. But I think this is not... I I don't think this has to be what a a lot of teams look at that second loss as, as the season ender. Because I think the fact that they have three rivalry games at home, I think that changes things. I think that means, you know, because some people say, oh, just put all the backups in and prepare for next year. If Michigan wants to do that, they'll do that. I don't know that that's what I would do. I don't think, I mean, the season will always be viewed as a what could have been, no matter what happens the rest of the way. But, you know, the whole, do you do you start, um, do you start putting in McCaffrey or Milton? I'm not sure that you do because I, I do think if Michigan is able to, and this is a this is a big if, but this is what you push for, if they're able to beat Notre Dame and Ohio State and Michigan State at home, I think you could venture to say it was the best season of the Harbaugh era. If they're able to bounce back and and win a couple of those games, I honestly let's let's be honest, even if they just beat Ohio State. I still think people would view this as a maybe not a step forward, but not in the same disappointing light as before. So I don't know, Steve. What do you think? Because it is it is a weird scenario with this four team playoff. We've advocated for bigger playoffs before. It is a weird scenario that as soon as you lose your second game, you t- arguably have nothing left to play for. What do you what do you think? I mean, should Michigan have an eye on next year, or are these rivalry games important enough in a vacuum that even without the title aspirations, it should still be treated like a title game? And and frankly, if they win those three, they have bragging rights for the year against three fan bases. So maybe maybe in a sense, it is kind of titles. They're just miniature titles that don't have trophies, or one of them has a trophy. Miniature titles that that. You don't hang banners for what? What is your thoughts on the on the rest of the season? Definitely, yeah. It, it, it the season 
is going to be look yeah is is at best ca a best case scenario is of what could have been because the main goals are yeah pretty much out of the picture at this point but yeah there's a ton to play for with those three teams still on your schedule I mean don't, you can't you can't deny that a win against Ohio State would do everything for for Michigan at this point even if they're to slip up you know in one of those other two games you know to beat Ohio State would would go a long, long ways, maybe for the psyche, not just of the fans, but of the program itself, the the younger players, the coaches. So there's a ton to play for, uh, in my opinion. I don't see how there's not, but as far you can, and you can do both. There's still a lot to play for, but you can mix in your younger guys now with a little more leeway, a little more, you know discretion you know as far as you know if the, the game is semi out of hand you know they got a few games that might be a little bit easier here coming up on the schedule to maybe put McCaffrey in a little bit earlier than you normally would in a, in a certain situation or you know because it is there is going to be sort of a uh what do you call it an, an uh, audition type you know period for some of these guys here to finish out but you can still do that while playing the your primary guys the bulk of the time, especially in the big games, right? So, you know, a two-loss regular season, I, I it's it's funny because if they were to run the table, I don't think anybody's picking them to right now. If they were to run the table with two losses... Right, right. And you said that those two losses were to Penn State and Wisconsin, if somebody had said that scenario at the beginning of the year, I, I think, I don't know, 70... 70 to 75 percent would be happy with that even if it meant no big 10 no playoffs just because hmm. you know what i mean because interesting you, question you yeah. beat, that means you beat Notre dame you beat michigan state you beat ohio state and you can call them like yeah they're miniature trophies those are huge those are massive rivalries though i mean those are the three most hated programs by mm -hmm. any michigan i can't I don't know if, i'd like to hear who would would be ahead of any of those three teams if there's somebody out <laughs> there who hates or can't stand a different team more than one of those three teams i'd actually be really interested to hear who it is um at least from a michigan right. standpoint if you just don't like like tennessee or something that i get it but you know either way so no i think there's plenty to play for and and, and yeah you put yourself in a position now where you know you can be a little more flexible in getting some younger guys some playing time getting them some value potentially valuable experience you know if you have some younger guys who you think might contribute next year you know, it's not saying the red shirt deal is secondary at this point, but at, also there's valuable playing time to be had now for some of these guys that maybe wouldn't have been there if they were contending. So, you know, I the coaching staff, I think, for the most part, has been pretty good in delegating who plays and who doesn't. But, you know, yeah, there is a next it, – it, again, the goal at Michigan should be to win the Big Ten and let – everything else sort itself out after that. If that's the goal, then you, you can't ignore next year at this point. So I think, you know, maybe because mm -hmm. again, there's, it's infathomable that Penn state loses twice, although they could, ah, uh, they play at Minnesota. They play Michigan state who has beat them two years in a row and they play at Ohio yeah, state who has beaten maybe. them two years in a row, but it's more infathomable. I think to see Ohio state slip up, well, they only have to lose 
if if <laughs> in, under this premise, they only have to lose one more time. But even that's a little infathom. I mean, it'd be this week at Wisconsin against Wisconsin. If it happens to Penn State, then I don't. I think there's one hypothetical that Michigan. Yeah, no, no. We're, Either we're, way, we're yeah, not going to dig that far into it because because Michigan's got to beat a lot of teams. I I think I saw they have a. Um, uh, I think either Bill Connolly. I think Bill Connolly gives them a 1.8 percent chance yeah. no, to go that's... 10 and two this year, based on the updated projections. So, oh, it might have been like 3.1 percent. Sure. It's something super low, though. I, it's just not not likely to happen. Uh, we can we can discuss yeah. that we'll wait. if it comes up. Because yeah. um, after in, next in more week, you know, with Notre Dame yeah. coming up, uh, so so let's could have that third loss a week from now. Let's be honest. So so. Yeah, yeah, we really could. Yeah, five days from now they could they could be five and three. I mean, it's. I think that is actually. I don't know. I don't know what the projections say. I thought I saw a couple that had had it, Notre Dame at a sixty percent chance of winning. Uh, but anyway, to close up, we can we can get. This might be something. This is something that we'll probably end up discussing a few more times throughout the year. But where the program is at, because. You know, yes, Michigan's schedule is really tough. Four top ten teams, because I assume Wisconsin will end up in the top ten still. Uh, that is, that's a lot. I I'm trying to find. You know, I I dug through Lloyd Carr's tenure. They never played four top ten teams. Not teams that finished in the top ten. I think a couple years they had three. Um, a couple years they had four in the top fifteen. Never four top ten. And so that's that's part of it, but at the same time, schools take football a lot more seriously than they used to. They're not getting out of this Wisconsin thing for two more years. <laughs> they they have a they have a home and home with Washington, which I know Steve does not like. Uh, they have a home and home with Washington next year. Ohio State does not look like they're going to. Looks like someone's going to have to take them out of the top ten, right? They're not gonna they're not gonna be a so so, like kind of. Maybe some of the Jim Tressel years or the John Cooper years. There's not going to be years where they just aren't a top ten team. It looks like they're just always going to be good until someone, until someone does it better. And so I guess big picture for you, Steve. What does what does this weekend do for the big picture? Because it's it's hard, it's hard to ima- imagine this team coming out of this season feeling good about itself. And so that's another off season, arguably the fourth straight. Off season, where f- fueled by disappointment, and at some point, because you can change coaches here, you can change coaches there. You, you have returning talent. I don't think Michigan's going to um, disappear with its pants down and you know go five and seven next year. But at the same time, this wasn't supposed to be a rebuilding year, right? There's a lot of veterans on this team. You know, a lot of guys who will be taken in the NFL draft next year or graduate. I guess what what does this game do for the big picture in your eyes, knowing that really it's it's kind of not quite deja vu, but but kind of similar to what's happened the past couple of years. I mean, it's you can't you can't say now that they haven't underachieved under Harbaugh. I think that's the biggest thing that we've learned mm-hmm. now, knowing that they're once again, not again, barring a miracle that they're not going to go to Indy. 
And I think even then, uh, yeah, a, a best case of what a New Year's six, right? I mean, that's their best case right now. They run the table. They're probably ranked somewhere in the top 10, I would think, if they win, they beat Notre Dame. And then if they were to beat Ohio State, they'd probably be in the top 10 somewhere, get a New Year's six. But even then, I feel like, you know, again, underwhelming if you're not in Indianapolis. At, if you haven't been to Indianapolis at this point in Harbaugh's tenure, you can't not label it a disappointment. And yeah, I think I you you have to agree now. You know, Ohio State, man, like the I, I don't want to. It's not luck. Uh, just they're like they still remain, from my standpoint, basically the only college football program in the last twenty five years that has not gone under into some slump at some point. You know, USC's gone up and down. Texas is just kind of getting out of a slump. Uh, Alabama before Saban came was nothing to write home about for years. Florida State's going through a slump right now. Florida's just, you know what I mean? Like the, the Ohio State has never hit, even under Cooper when they were struggling against Michigan, they were still, what, 10, 11 wins a year, right? I mean, it, it's, they're the one program that seems to have avoided, and it, and it, and again, it looks like that they've avoided again because Ryan Day right now looks like an A-plus higher for them. I mean, they look crisp. They're obviously talented as hell on both sides of the ball. They, they That's one thing. They're always going to be talented, but you still have to, still have to have the right guy at the helm. And, and right now, Day looks like a guy who's, you know, one of the brightest young coaches in, in, in the sport, not just in college football. So you're right. I mean, it's, 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 in a funny way, it's still the same as it's been. It all comes down to Ohio State for Michigan. Um, despite losing to Wisconsin and Penn State, you know, if, if Michigan's got to catch Ohio State at some point, if they're ever going to have any hope of doing this. And, you know, what, what I'm getting at is you lose two games now. We'll see where they are at the end of the year, but where it starts to impact is on, it can be on the recruiting trail, you know, and, and that's where the gaps are built and that's what they're, um, you know, that's, it doesn't dictate it, but it says a lot. It's, it's almost like, uh, it's like playing poker with, you you know, the teams who recruit the best have the best hand. Doesn't guarantee that you're going to win because there are some really good coaches who, who know how to utilize who they have. But it's it's mm. your probability of winning is much higher when you're recruiting at a higher level. That's why you keep seeing Alabama, Clemson, who kind of built their program off some really good finds on the recruiting trail, but now we're like recruiting at a higher level than ever. Georgia, Ohio right, State, right. you know, you keep seeing these teams at the top every year. It's not a coincidence, right? So, you know, for Michigan, I think the biggest thing is they have to keep winning at a at enough of a level to keep elite talent coming in. Now, if they keep putting guys in the pros, they are going to get recruits. That stuff still matters a lot. But at so, again, at some point, yeah, I mean it does. It comes down to winning, winning big games. You see, a, you know, Michigan's top tight end target Theo Johnson was in Happy Valley. Saw Penn State throw a thirty-something yard touchdown to Fryermuth. Right? I mean in Michigan who their tight ends played well. I think Eubanks maybe struggled a little bit blocking, but was a good receipt, good, good to do a good job in the receiving aspect, you know, but at the same time, you know, those are the types of races where now it's like, okay, Penn state's undefeated. You know, they have a chance to make a nice run here, Michigan, two losses. They're already out of the race. Like it's hard to pitch 
to guys like that, you know. And so it's, it, it comes down to keeping a good enough product on the field to keep in keep bringing in elite recruits, and then do what you can. They do. They've done well at quarterback. I know the big not the the joke about it's always been transfers under Harbaugh, but the you know JJ McCarthy coming in in 2021, who appears as rock solid, you know, is an is a uber elite talent, a guy I think can win them some football games. But um, yeah, bigger picture, big dis. There, it's a disappointment. Harbaugh, it's been a disappointment so far, no doubt about it. I mean, it's it's not even November and they're out, right? So. You know that that has to be looked at as a disappointment, regardless of the of the level of team you're losing to. Uh, you know, and to, to, like I said, to right the ship, you got to win some of these big games left on this year's schedule. Salvage your recruiting class, maybe add a couple more guys that you've been after, and then after that, you you go into next season, which we talked about before, looks like a much easier slate next year for them. I yeah, we talked. I hate. The, at, uh, the home and home against the Pac-12. I think it's stupid of Big Ten teams to do it, but whatever. Um, you know, and then and go into next year with, like I said, I think what looks like a much easier slate to try and take Ohio State down. Do you see anybody catching Ohio State? Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I think you – know, I, I don't see – and that's the thing is uh, the thing about Ohio State, they have not been punched in the mouth yet. I want to see how Fields especially reacts if he, like, gets hit. Has he even been hit? You know, it like, and that's, that's what I, I mean. I'm being serious, <laughs> so it's like, and I don't see, you see what Wisconsin did on the road against Illinois, who credit to Illinois, but, and then I, you know, I watch Michigan, Penn State. I, I don't mm-hmm. see either of those teams standing a chance in Columbus. No, no, the only, <laughs> Michigan gets them on, at, in Ann Arbor, right? And, and Michigan is going to care a lot more about that game than Ohio State will, I think. But maybe, Maybe that's just a subjective, incorrect opinion, but having covered this Michigan team, knowing how much they, I mean, even mid-season, they're talking about the game, which has not happened before. So, you know, they'll get they'll get everything Michigan has, but no, I don't see anyone catching them unless there's an injury. Uh, and as you know, but but the thing was, and looking at where the program is, Michigan was was supposed to be the team that caught Ohio State. And Jim Harbaugh was supposed to be the coach that could take down Ohio State for the Wolverines. And and to I think he was I think he did a better job in that regard than people give him credit for, but he didn't do the whole thing. He didn't he didn't beat Ohio State at any point. It does not seem like he will this year. And so, you know, how do they package it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't see how they get out of the season without at least three losses. And then, do you do you have you probably have to get rid of one of your coordinators if you're losing three times? It's just a, it's a weird spot that Michigan's in where they they are stuck in an area that they are not happy with. They might be they might be the only team. You know, there are teams that have it worse. Take a Tennessee, take a Nebraska. You know, teams that are struggling a little bit harder than Michigan is compared to what they're used to. Florida State, but I think Michigan might be the the team that feels maybe the most stuck out of all the traditional powers. In that it is just, I mean, it's been it's going to be 15 years without a Big Ten title, and I don't think anyone's predicting it to happen next year. 
or the year after. It's just, you know, with with the part of it's Ohio State, part of it's just they can't figure out how to beat good teams on the road. Yeah, it's uh it's um probably not the maybe it's the note our listeners wanted, but that that to me that's one of the takeaways is you know, I think I think they did a really nice job in the second half of Saturday's game or the second two-thirds of Saturday's game. And it wasn't enough. And I think that's where Michigan fans have to be hurt the most. Is that even when they fight back, even when they put a lot of stuff together, they still aren't winning the games that they can win. No, Anything else? That kind of sums it up. <laughs> All right, on that note, thank you for Steve Lorenz for joining me. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We're still covering the team like crazy. Still going to have uh, lots of articles from ourselves, from our from our staff, Josh Henschke, Josh Newkirk, Bryce Marriage, Sam Webb, uh, you know, our national desk. We have our, we have a Notre Dame site if you want to read about Notre Dame side of things. Lots of coverage to come. Check it all out at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you for the preview episode.